0: Georgia's DBHDD reminds people that the Good Samaritan Law can save lives during alcohol and drug overdoses. People are urged to call 911 and stay until help arrives. More information at opioidresponse.info.
1: Welcome to Political Rewind. I'm Bill Niggett. Uh, glad you could all be with us today for our final show of May, um... Where I'm, I'm uh, being. I've got lost my focus for a moment because all of our audio, nobody can hear anything in their (laughs) headphones. Uh, (laughs) So we'll just carry on. Uh, Heath Garrett is uh, with us today. Of course, he's a Republican strategist. He works uh, very closely with Johnny Isaacson and uh, Heath. Of course, we're glad to have you on Political Rewind today. Mary Margaret Oliver, Democratic member of the State House from uh, Decatur is uh, on the show with us today. And we're really happy to welcome back to the studio uh, Charles Cook. Chuck Cook is one of the leading immigration attorneys in the Southeast, and Chuck, we always like to turn to you to uh, help us understand what's happening with immigration. So we're going to try to, you know what? Let's everybody take off their headsets. Let's talk, because the headsets aren't working. let me start, Chuck. We we said that we wanted to spend a considerable amount of time on the show today talking about where we stand on immigration matters today. Uh, President Trump has taken some actions that we'll get into in just a couple of minutes, um, most recently overnight, last <laughs> night, announcing a uh, tariff that he wants to impose on the Mexican government if they don't crack down on immigration into their country. But let's, before we get there... Let's talk about something bigger. Before we went on the air, Mary Margaret Oliver said, you know, I don't think a lot of people really understand what's going on in terms of uh, the most recent history of immigration in this country. Chuck, whether you agree with President Trump or not, there is a crisis at the border. He would say it's a crisis of security But there are many people who believe what it really is is a humanitarian crisis. And it is true that we have thousands of people trying to get across the border into this country and that they are now um, primarily families trying to come into the country. So there's no question that there's a crisis at the border, is there? Well,
2: there's certainly a larger number of people coming in the border. We've always had people coming illegally to the United States. Uh, The numbers we're seeing today harken back to about... The numbers in '06 and '07, last time Johnny Eisen was working on this issue, but now nowhere near the record numbers we saw in the late '90s and the early 2000s under Bush, when we were literally picking up three million people a year at the border. Uh, what we're seeing, that I think, is a shock for people because we haven't seen this in a decade. Um, and there are also very few Mexicans that are coming in. It was always Mexicans and almost always Mexican men that were coming in previously.
1: Because uh, they were coming up here they looking work. for work.
2: It was, it were, literally, they were economic migrants. Uh, now this migration uh, at the border is, is somewhat uh, economic, uh, but a lot of it is social uh, and, and crime-related in the countries people are coming from, in what we call the Northern Triangle, uh, El Salvador, uh, um, uh, Guatemala, and Honduras. Uh, We're seeing that that the crime rates in those countries are at historically high levels, Uh, security is, is non-existent, the governments are, on their best day, non-responsive, if not at least somewhat beholden to some of the criminal organizations in those countries. And there's no doubt that the criminal organizations are also responsible for getting these people up here. They are literally arranging the travel. I mean, you don't I mean you need a travel agent to do what these a lot of people are doing, getting, going across Mexico in a month. Um, but at the same time, they're coming in because they truly have a fear. And we look at our own laws on immigration. Uh, we have a law that says, if you are afraid, of something in your home country. You have a right to ask for asylum in the United States, regardless of how you got here. And you can literally present yourself at a port of entry. This is you know the place you drive through at the, at the Southern or Northern border. And you can tell the officer, I want asylum. Uh, so those people were doing that. People were literally coming to the border and asking for asylum. And about four months ago, the government uh, started what was called metering and this has never been done to my recollection in my 30 years of immigration law, where they say we only have room for 50 people today. And if you're more than 50, then wait in Mexico. Uh, we also implemented a policy a few months ago of saying, okay, you're in the United States, you're applying for asylum, We're gonna send you back to your last country that you came through to wait for
1: your hearing. And those are Trump administration policies.
2: Very unique policy. Uh, And uh, so what we're seeing right now, there's at least in one city over in Tijuana, there's 7,000 people in the line waiting for their turn to be metered into the United States. But we also saw evidence of what, what happens when it breaks down, what happens when it's so dangerous, uh, where you are. Mex- this part of Mexico is in some really bad parts of town, In, in whether you're in Juarez, whether you're in Tijuana, whether you're down, uh, d- down in, in Tamaulipas. And so people, instead of staying in Mexico, where they have no money and no food, yesterday, over a thousand of these migrants came to the double-walled fence. So we have a fence that's two fences. Where much, is like, this? You see, in prisons. This is outside of El, El, outside of El Paso. And the, the, the southernmost fence, let's say, is not as well-maintained as the northernmost fence.
1: It, it, the, 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 are the southernmost fence is a Mexican both, fence? No, they're both American they're, fences. Okay, they're, they're both, both in the United
2: States. But, it's, but it's, it's easier to maintain the one that's right by the agents than sure. well the one on the inside. So whether it was cut, whether it was damaged, a thousand people literally walked through that in a line and sat down. And waited for Border Patrol to come pick them up.
1: Okay. Um, you said a lot there. So let me try to unpack some of what you just said, including getting to this incident that got a lot of news right. and that certainly the Trump administration made a lot out of. Uh, Heath, yes. w- when we talk about metering and this notion that it's never happened before, um, it, I think— that, uh, that Republicans who essentially uh, agree with uh, President Trump that we need to do something about security on the border would say one of the issues is we're running out of spaces to put people. That without some sort of system to monitor how many people are coming in, that metering may sound like a punitive measure, and perhaps it is, but we also are running – there just isn't, isn't housing to – to put people, there aren't facilities, right?
3: Absolutely, that's part of the crisis, right? Is that uh, a was we've tightened security over the last three administrations? Mm-hmm. President Bush started uh, tightening security. President Obama actually increased some measures of security, maybe not everything that Republicans wanted, and then now obviously Donald Trump has made this a central, you know, issue of his campaign and his presidency. Now you have the capacity to meter in a way that you didn't have in the past, and we also have this dramatic increase, at least the largest number we seen in the last 12 years. Uh, Charles Wright, uh, we had a big surge uh, in the early part of the first part of this century that went away a little bit with the recession and with the toughening. And so all of a sudden we have this. On top of that, we have due process rules and laws in the United States of America. And so if we remember the conferral last year with saying, oh, we can't warehouse people and or children. Especially children. Especially children, Children. right? And so we have literally run out of physical capacity. There are not enough judges. there are not enough lawyers, there are not enough caseworkers along the border to handle the mass influx of people seeking asylum or coming here uh, just illegally, not even seeking asylum. So that's cr- helping create the humanitarian crisis. And I'll answer the original question, Bill. It is a crisis. It's a humanitarian crisis, somewhat manufactured by the policies of countries in Central and South America, somewhat manufactured by our tightening of the security and, look, quite frankly, by the inaction of the Congress, both Republican and Democrats, uh, over the Last 20 years to be able to come to a compromise on a comprehensive plan to deal with it at our southern border, and we do have we had 109,000 people in April, you know, come across the border illegally, which is the largest number. You multiply that by 12 months, May is going to exceed that number and become the largest uh, record uh, in a while. And so you're talking about a million and a half, maybe two million people a year. I don't think the American people. Want that many people coming without some controlled fashion, well, and that's and that's, and that's, and that's where that, we've that, got to. That's some people cool have that. been apprehended. There are others that have come. That's, yeah, just and that's right. That are not being apprehended. That's right. And uh, another interesting fact here, Bill. I think going back to two thousand and four, people always think this is a Mexico problem. Uh, Johnny Isaacson and I went to the border in two thousand and six. We went in the tunnels. Mm-hmm. We went. to, We saw all the fences that had been right at that time. At that time, forty percent of everybody coming across the border were not from Mexico or from Central America. Uh, so. So there's actually a large percentage of folks who know that our southern border is a way to get in, and these organized crime gangs, whatever you want to call them, cartels—they're making money off of this, it, and they're and they're slipping it, bad people in.
1: Let me just go back to one thing you said, so, Mary Margaret. Uh, he's comment that I don't think that he doesn't think the American people want, say, a surge of as many as two million people to come into the country. Um, I I would suspect that we all would, we'd have different opinions on that.
0: I don't know that we do. I think uh, American people want a secure border, mm-hmm. but they also recognize in these details in this complicated global set of issues that it is a humanitarian crisis. And the change from, from trying to manage uh, Mexican men who are coming to work contrast to what's coming today, families, substantial numbers of children. It's a totally different management issue for the American people and for Congress, who is not acting. When American people see children dying in a custody of, of American immigration officials, they will probably not tolerate that, in my opinion. they did not going to tolerate the cages, not going to tolerate children dying in American custody. That reflects Uh, an absence of an ability to manage a totally different and unique humanitarian crisis that is at our border. That's the reality. If you're a a leading bureaucrat, how do you manage a thousand people or thousands of children, a million people coming in, and how do you satisfy the American people who do want to address in a rational way a, a complicated problem? The problem of all that, one of the major problems, is the hysterical Trumpian politicalization of what is a normal fear that people would hear, would have in response to a million people coming into our country. He is exacerbating the fear. He intentionally, he has said publicly many times, this is my political campaign issue. This is how I get reelected. And as a politician who also is recognizes on a day-to-day basis, speaking for myself, the painfulness of compromise. In many cases, the people in Washington have not been willing to engage in painful but productive compromises. All right,
1: l- l- let's do this. I, I want to take a break a little earlier than usual in the show today. We're going to, our engineering team is standing <laughs> by, by to come in and figure out. The triage team. Yeah, this is the triage team. They're going to see if they can fix the audio in here. We're doing a pretty good job hearing each other, though. I can hear you great. I can yeah. hear you all. We're doing well, but I'll tell you what, we will be even better if we can get our headphones fixed. So you're listening to Political Rewind. Alex is coming into the studio to see what he can do. We'll be back in a minute.
2: Nearly eight months after Hurricane Michael struck the Florida coast, Congress has yet to pass a disaster relief bill. What normally takes weeks has taken more than 230
1: days. That money could potentially have already been on the street. There could be projects underway.
2: I'm Ari Shapiro reporting from the Florida Panhandle on what this means for one small town this afternoon on All Things Considered from NPR News.
1: 4 till 7 today on GPB and GPBnews.org. Hi, this is Bill Nygut here to tell you that we're taking Political Rewind back on the road. On Monday evening, June 3rd, we'll be in Cartersville. We'll do the show in front of a live audience at the Grand Theater, and we'd love to have you join us. If you'd like free tickets, go to our website, politicalrewind.org, and you'll find a link where you can register. We're looking forward to seeing you in Cartersville on June 3rd.
2: I'm Taylor Gant, GPB's Morning Edition producer. I've had the chance to cover the full spectrum of sports in Georgia, including women's basketball, the NCAA National Championship, and Atlanta United who won the city's first pro championship since 1995.
3: All different people all come together in these games and it really just represents all of Atlanta. And I think it means a lot to the entire city to have something like this.
2: We bring you the latest on sports right here on GPB.
3: Hey, this is David Green, host of Morning Edition. I'm here to talk with you about that poking feeling, the one that keeps reminding you to support public radio. You can support the programs you love by donating your used vehicle. That old car or truck could be worth hundreds of dollars
2: to this station. All you have to do is call, and you might even receive a tax deduction. Go to gpb.org cars or call 877-GPB-1-CAR and thanks.
1: We're back on uh, Political Rewind. Chuck Cook, Mary Margaret Oliver, Heath Garrett are with us for the show today. We're going to talk immigration for uh, quite a bit. And in a moment, we're going to get into some of the most recent developments with the Trump administration. Before we do, very quickly, uh, uh, I want all of you to engage in this. You know, uh, Chuck, Heath made a good point in the first part of the show. Uh, It isn't as if Republicans and Democrats, each, both, haven't, in fact, over the last couple of decades... Tried to solve this problem in Washington, George W. Bush, uh, who comes from a border state, he, he was understood the Dedicated issue. He, he absolutely... to trying to find a solution, and the effort to do bipartisan immigration reform, which would have provided a path for undocumented uh, uh, people to stay in the country—not not as citizens mm-hmm. necessarily—it uh, it collapsed because. Uh, primarily conservatives refused to go along with it
2: there, there were some democrats that refused to go along with it as well um let's um, you know let's name President okay. obama as one of those that, that did not sign on to that bill that, that's right um, and uh, then you had it in 2013 another opportunity to fix this uh, but once again in the in the middle of the second term of the president when he's weakened when he doesn't have the the pull or the or the bully pulpit to move forward and the house refuses to vote on something that clearly would have passed the house and uh, allotted, I don't know, something like $50 billion to border enforcement out of the Senate with almost 70 votes. So, I mean, there are votes to fix this, uh, but if you let the tail keep wagging the dog, the, the, the minority, uh, you're not going to be able to fix it. A great poll came out yesterday that said 77% of Americans support a pathway decision for DACA kids. I mean, 77%. There's very few things in America 77% of the people agree on, and yet we don't move forward.
0: One of the fascinating things to me, because I've talk with my Republican friends, as soon as they know an individual who's been deported, as soon as they know that person, they can talk rationally. And we all know these people. We all know these people who've been deported out of our immediate uh, family of workers or friends or faith-based organizations. We have to remember those people and for at least a few minutes set aside the harshness and the Terrible destructiveness of this polarized issue.
1: So, Heath, I want to ask you uh, uh, to see if you can comment on, on an observation that I'd like to make here. Sure. Uh, we we all know that President Trump, uh, from the day he came down the escalator in Trump Tower to announce his candidacy in 2016, believed that talking about immigration uh, and the dangers that it uh, Im- that illegal immigration imposed uh, were a ticket to succeed as a candidate for president. I'm not sure he actually thought he'd be the president of the United States, right. but he obviously saw that as a crucial issue. In In the years since, he has continued to come back to that issue over and over and over again. And I want to ask you a question. Right. If you buy the theory that Trump never really expected he was going to be president, that he just thought this would be a great adventure, he ended up in the White House. He didn't come in there uh, with an agenda, lots to accomplish, because that hadn't been what his thinking was. He was a business executive. And there are times when I think maybe the president comes back to it again and again and again. Because that's the only issue he's really got on his. He doesn't have a lot of other things that interest him, excite him. So, in addition to mobilizing his base, it's kind of an issue that he he thinks he understands and knows something about. Well, is that, that a terribly harsh assessment?
3: No, you know, trying to uh, get into Donald Trump's mind, I think there were a lot of people around him who may have been surprised that he actually won the presidency. I don't, so I don't want to buy into that he didn't think he could win the presidency. I think Donald Trump for forty years is the exact same. Person we see every day on Twitter in the White House, whether it was in the New York Times, I think he's a real estate developer at heart. I think that when he wrote and or co-wrote the Art of the Deal, a lot of what's in that book he actually believes, and we're seeing it play out full script uh, in the presidency uh, out there. But I think you're right. uh, He didn't. But the reason why he came down, wrote down that elevator is that when you do polling in the Republican primary, almost anywhere in the country. Even in the border states uh, uh, where you have a much higher uh, immigrant population, even in Republican districts, uh, the number one or number two issue, issue often is illegal immigration when it comes to moving voters to some kind of action. And so I think the marketing genius in Donald Trump, whether you like it or not, he's a marketing genius uh, in him, sees and goes back to an issue that he knows moves voters passionately, particularly within the base of the Republican Party. And uh, as Charles pointed out, it nationally among independent voters, particularly in the swing states that are going to matter in the upcoming 2022, 2020 election, uh, whether that's Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Michigan, Ohio, North North Carolina, Georgia is now in play. Uh, You know, this is an issue that independents want both security and some pathway, and he's going to try to walk that very fine line uh, because they do want pathway to citizenship, but they also want some extra security at the border in exchange for it.
0: Calling Donald Trump a marketing genius or a stable genius gives me some heartburn. Uh, We can debate his success. Uh, as a businessman or whether it was any authenticity to any of the things he says. It is true, and if you reflect yesterday on his 17-minute diatribe on the White House lawn, that was one of the more peculiar um, expressions he has. He he, He believes, I do think this is true, he was responsible for getting elected. He, 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 me, me, me not the Russians, but me, me, me. And that is reflective of him using immigration consistently, consistently, consistently. He credits that in his mind with uh, his election, and he will not change on that. Where are the more balanced heads uh, in Congress, Senate and House, That are going to seek real solutions with the painful compromises that are necessary. And I keep asking that question because Donald Trump is not going to help. He's only going to be negative in this look for solutions.
2: Well, part of the problem with that is who he has surrounded himself with. Uh, His main and principal policy advisor on immigration is a guy named Stephen Miller, who used to work uh, in Congress for Sessions. And he is as nativist as they come, period, end of story. Uh, and uh, he's been that way his whole life. Um, he went to high school with the kids of a friend of mine, and he's never been anything other than that. But he's only 33 years old, and he doesn't have to compromise because he's not an elected official. Uh, but everybody else that Trump has put in the administration comes from the far side of the Republican Party who do not like immigrants. The Republican Party has been great on immigration for a long time. I mean, Ronald Reagan and George Bush were the principal reasons we have well, uh, yeah, an amnesty. He is, Johnny, said. I, Johnny, Johnny Isakson, Isakson is,
1: was a big he, believer in immigration well, John, reform. Johnny, Saks even Saks last Chambler's, year, uh, he voted for
2: DACA last year. Right, exactly. So, I mean, th- this is an issue that splits the GOP and, and used to split the Democratic Party, but not so much anymore, but it used to. Uh, and that's why you haven't seen any poll numbers move against immigrants or immigration, even though Trump's been in there for two and a half years. In fact, the numbers are a little slightly more favorable towards immigration than they were when Trump started. And so you've got a situation where, okay, we have a problem with the border uh, caused by different factors that some are in our control, some are out of our control. Um, But punishing people, um, having children die in custody is not a way to fix that problem. There are are ways you can try to fix it. Um, uh, Obama tried a few, because keep in mind Obama had a similar issue in 2014, after DACA and DAPA came out, um, and he implemented three specific policies in Central America where a lot of these immigrants were coming from. Um, he implemented a program of, of refugees for children whose parents were in the United States. He implemented, he implemented a marketing program, I mean, I don't know what other words you put for it. it's a marketing program saying, stay in your country, it's dangerous. And, and then he also implemented a multi-million dollar job training program, job creation program, investment program. All three of those programs have been eliminated by the administration. And so that what, what was keeping at least some people back is gone. Now you have the multinational cartels advertising people to come, saying, you know, you got to get up here before the wall is built. Um, and so if you keep pounding on the wall and give people excuse for people to come, you're going to see these types of crises along with the terrible crime situation.
3: And I'll I'll say that there is a little bit more balance in the Trump administration than maybe Charles. There's no question at times that the Stephen Millers win the day. Uh, He did create a team of rivals. There are a lot of economists and others who are looking at the market and trade policy and other things to provide balance. And look, Trump is Trump, right? He's the president. He's uh, El Jefe. He's the guy who's going to make the final decision. And sometimes he chooses uh, the right side of of that uh, line. And sometimes he chooses the more economically oriented uh, Republicans in his administration. I think they, they the, the surge of, uh, of seekers over the last 30 to 45 days has mattered. There's no question uh, that in his mind he he knew he was going to get anywhere with the Democratic Congress uh, on this issue. There had been some attempts last year, right? He put DACA on the table, which is the first president to do that. So let's get a grand compromise and both sides blame each other for walking away from those talks last year in the White House. And I, I, I do believe there's probably a little bit of blame on both sides based on what I know through Johnny and other senators. However, uh, he finally decided he was going to make everybody talk about this issue, right? If you just left it up to be another issue on the table. And in total Trump fashion, he went and asked his staff to find a very provocative way to get attention on this issue. And if nothing else, if that was his goal, he's done it, because in the last 24 hours, everybody's paying attention to yeah. this.
0: Let's talk about the economy here. Let's talk about, if you if you want, if I wanted to express a wish to the rational people on both sides, I'd talk about the economy. Mexico is the second largest importer of all materials. It our agricultural imports are uh, 5.9 billion. Uh, fresh fruit, 5.8 billion. Wine and beer, 3.6 billion. We import from Mexico. Yeah. The idea of imposing a tax on working people to pay tra- tariffs is such a ridiculous economic.
1: Well, let's, in fact, I'm glad you, you introduced exactly the latest story uh, that we I wanted to talk about. Uh, yesterday, after, yesterday morning, during that scrum on the White House yes, lawn, uh, the president said, oh, I'm going to have some big news about um, immigration. Uh, it's it's going to be important. And by this morning, we learned that what Mary Margaret is talking about is exactly what happened. Uh, Chuck, the White House has said that beginning June 10th, Uh, we will impose a 5% tariff on all goods, all goods coming in from Mexico to the United States if the Mexican government doesn't take aggressive action to um, stop people from crossing the border from Mexico to the United States. I want to, before we talk about it, just uh, Mick Mulvaney uh, did a conference uh, conference call. call last night? Last night, you were kind enough to share the mm-hmm. transcript with this. Uh, Robert Jimison pulled the audio of it, um, and one of the things that uh, Mulvaney was asked on this call was, "Aren't the it's the American people he, who are going to pay for these tariffs?" It's it's he, you he didn't and answer me. That question. I can't wait to. And hear the audio. here's what Mulvaney said in answer to that: Americans are paying for this right now. Uh, illegal immigration comes at a cost. The American taxpayer is paying uh for what's going on at the at the uh, at, at the border. Uh the president has asked Congress to help. Congress has failed to help. I can personally tell you it's been at least 6 weeks since I met with Senate Democrats to literally beg them for a situation um, and instead of helping us to left town. Now we are asking Mexico uh, to do what it
2: can because Congress will not.
1: So uh, all right, we should point out in all fairness that Republicans left town, too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was a holiday break. Yeah. By the way, Robert Jimison. That, that,
2: that, that was that was Robert, great spin, by the way, yeah. by Mulvaney. Robert was actually spin. on
1: the call as well. I didn't realize that until he just uh, sent me a text pointing that out. All right, so let's set aside just for a moment, Chuck, the question of whether you ought to be imposing tariffs to solve a completely <laughs> different problem, uh, a problem that has to do with security and whatever... Uh, let's put that to the side for just a moment. Mm-hmm. We'll come back to it. Um, is Mexico equipped? We also, by the way, there are also the other thing we learned in this call is there are no standards.
2: Well, that's the thing is we don't know what it means to enforce their border. We, right. there's literally nothing, it, and they <clears>
1: haven't <throat> come up. Well, you you better you better reduce illegal immigration across the border by 15%. There's none of that. It's just we'll decide when you've succeeded. And and the
2: tariff is 5% now, but then it It goes goes up up. incrementally till August when it's 25% every few weeks.
3: So the first question He did go on to say, though, that he hopes they don't have to implement the tariff. This this is all ridiculous. ridiculous.
2: It's only 10 days away.
1: All right, hold on. Get to work. First of all, can Mexico take steps? Is the president have any point in saying that Mexico is not doing the job it can do to stop immigrants at its borders instead of having a situation where they flood Mexico and then find their way to uh, the United States?
2: I think this is an example of Trump's thinking about other countries, that uh, maybe we're, we're the only country where it's not a dictatorship and everybody else is, and therefore this monolithic Mexico can magically make something happen. When Mexico is an elected democracy just like ours and they have money to spend, they have to get allocated by their Congress. The yeah, but president. they have
1: concerns about border security and, too. And, and
2: they do. And what they do for that is they, they allocate to mostly their military. They have a, a quasi-border patrol like we have, but they use their military within their U.S., something we don't because of the Posse Comitatus Act. Um, and they have, in fact, turned away hundreds of thousands of people on the Guatemalan border. Um, but there are, it's very difficult for them to allocate the funds to do that. Plus, Mexico's immigration laws are more liberal than our immigration yes, laws. Yes,
1: but, but the president is saying that's the problem.
2: Well, but that's not Mexico's <laughs> problem. That's Trump's problem. Um, and so if Mexico wants to say, you know, we're going to allow in and give work permits to refugees, we're going to allow people to apply there. The thing is, Mexico does tell any that they encounter, you are allowed to apply for asylum in our country. They simply don't want to. They don't want to go to Mexico. They want to go to the United States. So there's a limit to what Mexicans do. There is there is free travel in Mexico. So once you get in, you can go anywhere you want to in Mexico. They don't have the ability, legally, uh, morally, or militarily, or police-wise, to stop people from traveling once they're in their country. Well, and I think right. this is Trump's point,
3: right? Yeah. At the end of the day, we have a. 2,000-plus-mile border. Mexico only has a 150-mile border on the southern border, down with those important countries that are of real value to us in our longer-term foreign policy. And so, uh, look, Trump has said and made part of the the latest version of NAFTA that there were sidebar negotiations with the Mexican government about increasing and improving their border security at their southern border and stopping some of this. He clearly feels like those uh, whatever verbal agreements agreements that they had on the side uh, have not been met. I think that this is not just something that came up over the last 24 hours. Uh, there's no question that the administration is having conversations with Mexico and trying to incentivize them. And I think there's a legitimate fight within the Republican Party on our side as to whether or not we should be using tariffs to do this, but yeah. there is unified well, well, in chairman the Grassley. Country, But, but yeah. th- th- there's a real problem there, and Mexico can do more, and that he is using his style, uh, which is very unconventional, uh, to try to uh, you know, move the negotiations forward. He tried to make this part of the USMCA, and realized they weren't going to be able to do that. And so there were sidebar discussions going on, and it'll be interesting to see if if there can't be some movement. And those,
2: and those sidebar discussions are what caused Mexico to put more military, more border security on their southern border. You know, the reality is, I you know, if, if Trump said, you know, we're going to give Mexico five billion dollars to do this, well,
3: I think that's where the Senate might you know, go. They, with they that. might that, do that. That
2: was uh, my next. Maybe he that could was take a, that from the military. Mary I don't Margaret, know. That's oh, precisely
1: the comment I wanted to have. Have you uh, weigh in on it? In fact, instead of punishing, why not help?
0: Chairman Grassley was pretty articulate today on this ridiculous idea. Yes, and
1: and being a a member of the Senate from Iowa puts him in a very important (laughs)
0: position. Very important, respected Republican. There are possible solutions to enhance the opportunity of Mexico and these other countries to solve problems that will satisfy the needs of America, satisfy the values of American citizens and American valued voters. I am a little bit troubled by suggesting that Trump has a, uh, hired a, a team of rivals a la Ibra- Abraham Lincoln. I don't think that's what he's done. He uh, hires people, ignores them or doesn't. Well, St- but,
1: but his trade representative has already said he opposes this 5% <laughs> tariff. Just to be clear, there it's may not, not be- It's a
0: tariff. It's a tax on it's working people Reagan. of the United States.
1: Okay. clear
0: about that. The suggestion that it's anything of a productive idea is contrary to any hope to have a rational discussion. I'm encouraged by Senator Grassley stepping forward. It may be an indication that some of the Republican leaders, and, of course, Johnny Isaacson would be one who might join this team. He says, we've got to be a little bit more realistic about some solutions. There's a lot of smart people that do studies about negotiation tactics as a litigation lawyer and as a politician in the back room negotiating stuff. I'm familiar with the value of being a total irrational bully that cannot be tolerated for five minutes in a negotiation session. That's what Trump is. It's a technique. It's a style. It's never going to change for him. Are the Republican and Democratic leaders of Congress going to say, we see a bully in action, we understand it's a technique, we understand he's not going to change, he's not going to have advisors who are going to help him, we have to assume so, some leadership.
1: So, Keith, you made a point that, uh, that the administration has sort of suggested they hope they don't have to impose the first 5%, let alone the next 5, next 5 after that. So, there is wiggle room for the President of the United States here, and if Mary Margaret is right... There are Republicans who are going to go to him, Republicans from the Hill, and quietly, they're not going to go in open rebellion, or few of them are, we know that, but, but they're going to quietly say... Let's not be so hasty about this.
3: Well, there's no question that it's already happening. I think that uh, it was actually referenced in the uh, press conference mm-hmm. last night that uh, the White House had had uh, multiple conversations with four or five Republican senators, and they would gotten some questions a about statutory authority to even do this. Yes. Which it appears there may be a a, a statutory authority. To there do may this. be a loophole. And, and, and you know, we're all lawyers here, and uh, we're all good at finding those loopholes when they benefit us. Uh, uh, but the second question was, right, uh, we almost overwhelming su- bipartisan support for what the president is doing with tariffs on China, because it has to do with their tariffs and their access, our access to their markets. Okay. So it's a, a trade war, so to speak, or a trade battle. This all is just around. a punitive. But this action. is the first time we've seen tariffs used for what would otherwise be argued as social right. Uh, right. Uh, right. Uh, policy. Uh, the national security argument is one that I actually believe in and have said for uh 20 years Republicans should focus more on in regards to our southern border. But there again, both sides are not willing to give up their base on this. Right. And so that's why we can't get compromise even when the Republicans control both the House and the Senate. But uh, I I think it's going to be interesting battle in the Republican caucus. But there again, the the Republican Senate alone can't do anything because of the Democratic Congress uh, House. uh, So the concern is. What is the end game here? Well,
1: be, be, right? let, let's start. Let's take a look at another uh, uh, recent development from the Trump administration that is also going to uh, find its you know it's going to be a war in Congress over, and that's the Trump, the the latest proposal, which we are told came out of Jared Kushner, uh, to establish a merit-based immigration policy in which uh, we would favor. Uh, allowing highly educated, financially stable—am I missing any of the adjectives around this, Chuck? Yeah. <laughs> it, it, we would we would start picking and choosing between the people who just don't deserve to be in the United States and those who can make a valuable contribution in a different way. That same policy. Would also put severe limitations on how you can apply for uh, and qualify for refugee status.
2: Well, I mean, let's let's be clear. This is Jared Kushner no more created this this proposal than my dog. All right. This really comes out of the Miller part of the White House. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is a reflection of Senator Perdue's bill, uh, which he introduced uh, in the last legislative session, which ended up getting no co-sponsors. Uh, he now has one other co-sponsor besides Senator Cotton in this this version of it. Uh, basically, it eliminates family-based immigration in the United States. So, and it tells all 4 million people waiting in the line. Remember, we used to say, wait in the line. Tells all 4 million people in the family line, sorry, you're out. Now it's a merit-based system. Uh, the merit-based system favors anybody under the age of 30 with an advanced degree who's single. That's it. That's who it favors. Somebody like Heath would not qualify. He's too old. Sorry. Well, no, I thought there was a
3: genius exception. <laughs> well, <laughs>
0: <laughs> you're too old. I think God. we ought to look at the children, the eight children that won the spelling bee last night. And yeah. You, just, you just noticed that, them too? You, I, was well, there one? There was two Americans. Two, two American, Native-born Americans. Native-born the rest Americans.
2: Were, I think they were all Native-born Americans, but two, all six were Indian heritage. The other two were, were Every were, single oh,
0: valedictorian else. in DeCab County now is, you know. It's
2: so you're looking at that. So the, this bill, this idea, which is not even a bill. I mean, that's just the thing about this proposal We haven't even seen it. There is no legislative language other than what we've seen in uh, Senator Perdue's proposal. Uh, It will never ever become law. All
3: right. Serial. Well, and, and I would just say, you know, look, in, in fairness, I'm not going to defend the total theme because I worked with Senator Isaacs on, on a somewhat merit-based solution where we had Ted Kennedy and others. It was an alternative.
2: What it was was an alternative. An,
3: here's, a, here's a section. We're going to
2: experiment with these 50,000 green cards. It was a brilliant idea. Right.
3: But we do need to, you know, there is a good, legitimate argument, rational argument for a reduction in refugee and asylum seeking while we do some of this other thing, because right now we have too many companies that are looking for employees who can't get the employees in the right way. You know, you know that. And so I think that uh, what it is, I see that as a reaction to the left whose proposals right now are presidential Democratic nominees are all asylum, more refugees straight well, pathway let's be to citizenship clear about why, though? With, no, with no alternative uh, with security and these other things. And so I, I, I kind of look at both extremes and go, okay, guys, yeah, see, I, 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 don't I think not are responding. To that.
2: I, I actually see a bunch of candidates, and you know, I've been a lifelong Republican, a bunch of Democratic candidates who actually have security in their proposals. There is security out there. Uh, the, the deal that Trump rejected last year, which was DACA for his wall, $25 billion straight up, he rejected it because it did not eliminate family immigration. And he walked away from that deal. That that passes Congress easy. He walked away. Uh, so what we're really looking at here is, where are we going to go forward? The most refugees we've ever taken in a year, Now be, I need to do a little lawyering here. Refugees are people who are outside the U.S., who go through a two-year vetting process. They really are refugees. They come in. We have never allowed in more than 75,000 ever in a given year. We don't have overflowed refugees. Asylum seekers are those who are coming to our border or who are in the United States who are seeking to become protected because of their fear. Those numbers are high, but not at historic highs by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, what we've done, unfortunately, and you brought this up earlier, we have not kept pace in our immigration court system. We have not kept pace on spending at the asylum office. There actually is an asylum office. Within the immigration service who adjudicates these right. cases.
1: So I got to get so, to I got to get to a break in a minute, but Mary Margaret. Um, this is the country that has always opened its arms to refugees. We know that, you know. Give me your tired, your poor. The Statue of Liberty in New York Harbor, all of those wonderful idealistic images about America. But when you think about the vast numbers of people who are now streaming or up from the southern. From Central America and wanting to get into this country, it it does feel like that. Whether you know the extremes have to be, we got to deal with the fact that there are all extremists on both sides of this. Don't we have to change our immigration policy? We can't keep accepting these huge numbers of people into the country, or can we?
0: Our refugee uh, policies have been successful, in my view.
1: Refugees.
0: Uh, from my church, from a political right. life, uh, the number of... But I'm of, talking about
1: immigrants in general. I
0: understand what you're doing. Okay. I understand what... But the, the people out there need to already support legal refugees, in my opinion, given the way they contribute to the economy. You look at the DeKalb County economic strength that began with the farmer's market and has spread to thousands of independent businesses. All of that is positive, positive refugee policy. Our immigration policy can be changed, amended, helped, and supported to be equally as strong for our economy and strong for our humanitarian and value based goals. The President of the United States and Stephen Miller are not for that. That's our problem.
1: So it would cost us billions and billions of dollars to create the infrastructure, both physical infrastructure, court infrastructure, whatever. To allow f- for the flow yeah, of immigrants, not, we have. But it's now. not
2: that hard to do. I mean, again, Congress was prepared to spend this money in 06. They were prepared to spend it in 2013. 13, they were prepared to spend it last year. This is not a hard problem to fix. Really. No,
3: this not a hard problem thing. It's interesting as of as asylum difficult. seekers are spending $10,000 to be to be pump, pump part of the human trafficking trail from Central America mm-hmm. up. They're taking all that, and then that money's being stolen from them. Uh, what, what Congress has proposed is just increasing some of the fees, right, to help process and do all this that would pay for uh, a percentage of it. And there are other things we could do there. But uh, you're, you're right, Bill. And, you know, look, what's different, we always talk about, and I, I heard Beto today talking about uh, the Statue of Liberty as if it was the Constitution itself. Right. And we don't want to conflate those two things. But the spirit of that is exactly what Almost every Republican that I know, I'm sure there are a couple of outliers, just like there are in the Democratic Party, uh, want to maintain. But the difference is, is that uh, when that was erected, we didn't have a social welfare system, right, that was the envy of the world. And so not everybody, it wasn't easy to get here. Uh, and The world has changed. And so the, the, what, what Republicans, most Republicans are arguing for, uh, whether they're supportive of this exact policy of the president or not, is that we want to secure orderly and legal, and we want more folks immigrating here. We've We've got folks who graduate from Georgia Tech who have a job waiting on them, we but we can't get them a green card. Right. Okay.
1: Right. I, I hear you. Um, you know what? Uh, we, I do have to get to a break. <laughs> you know what? I'm, I, if it's okay with everybody uh, on the panel, this conversation about immigration, we talked about other issues we wanted to take up. Let's keep talking immigration. Is that all right with that you all sounds for great. the last few minutes of the show? You yes, all right sir. With I'm, all right.
0: I got we're, things to say.
1: We're going Okay. We're going to get to a short break and be right back.
0: On the next Fresh Air, New York Times Supreme Court correspondent Adam Liptak talks about the court's direction on abortion, the role the court might play in challenges to President Trump, and how the court is changing with Trump's two appointees, Justices Gorsuch and Kavanaugh. Join us.
2: Fresh Air is this afternoon at 3 on GPB and online
1: at gpbnews.org. Chuck, before the break, uh, Heath made a statement that I wanted to ask you and Mary Margaret about, really. Uh, He he said, he he suggested essentially that because our social welfare system is so strong, so well-funded, because it's well-known all over the world, it's one of the reasons people are streaming across the borders to get here. That, he said, essentially is different from what it used to be. But in fact, at the turn of the 20th century and before, Millions of people were trying to flock to the United States to make a new home for themselves. There was no social welfare system. This was the land of opportunity. Well,
2: And it still is the land of opportunity in a lot of people's eyes. Uh, The reality is, if you're a new immigrant to America, even a new legal immigrant, you can't use the social welfare system. You have a five-year ban before you can use anything. And if you're undocumented, of course, you have no access to anything. Now, if you have a child, yeah, the kid goes to public school. The kid can get Medicare, uh, emergency Medicare as, as a U.S. citizen, but undocumented members can't get any of that stuff. But that's a social welfare problem. That's not an immigration
1: problem. No, but Heath, you are yeah, propose, you are suggesting that that's a lure.
3: No, it's definitely a lure. And we were, we we're also talking about the cost equation of this, right? Uh, when we had the Statue of Liberty, right, we were trying to fill the land, right, with people who were coming to work. Uh, and I think that's part of what ought to be the basis of our immigration policy going forward. It's not a suggestion that that's the only reason why people come, but there is an additional cost to this today that didn't exist. And, these, and, and, it, and it does have a cost on, on our public education system. But it, it also... Also has social. a financial benefit to it, us at it, the same it time. Does. People it, pay and, taxes, and there are great studies about that of a yeah. cost benefit over time. But it's it's al- always in b- favor b- but of It's a rational and reasonable argument that we ought, why well, we ought to have a more orderly and controlled yeah. policy. Mary Margaret, jump in.
0: People are making some few people are making decisions to come here because of opportunity in education. But the crisis in education is certainly not social welfare. They don't get Medicare; they get Medicaid yeah. in a very narrow circumstances. The problem is the dangerous and the total corruption, the total collapse, and the inability to have any life where they are. They're coming out of desperation. They're not. Some are coming for economic opportunity and education, but really it's a flight of desperation, yes. where people are making money off of them. People are making money off this tragedy. And we in the United States are not stepping forward in a meaningful, rational way to address that. What would we you do? We are instead helping, our, hurting our economy by the – we'll have the – May will be a poor month for our Dow. It will be not a st- – strong away in order for us to move forward with any solutions. The solutions are to stop and support and protect and alleviate the dangerousness and inability to live in any way in the countries that are sending their people so here. So that suggests
1: th- you you agree with those who say what we should really be doing is is increasing our aid to uh countries in Central America where conditions are so horrendous, people need to flee right now.
0: Strategically increasing aid, strategically increasing security, and supporting an asylum and an immigration system for those seeking asylum is what I mean, in a meaningful way. We're doing none of that.
3: I do do think there's some bipartisan support for that, as we were discussing maybe before the show started. China is making incredible investments, Mm -hmm. both for economic reasons, but also for political reasons in Central and South America trying America. to, in my opinion, and in many opinions, destabilize some of those countries at our back door in order to help destabilize the United States of America for the future. We are in a, a new version of a Cold War with China. We have to acknowledge that. And so I think there is bipartisan support for aid, investment and in infrastructure, but we got to get back to almost like a Monroe-like doctrine a way. We're saying, hey, this is the Western Hemisphere. We're going to promote freedom. We're going to promote capitalism. We're going to promote economic opportunity in these countries, and that will help solve some of this.
2: And the problem is we're literally not doing that anymore. I mean, the, the programs that existed were canceled by the Trump administration. Because Stephen programs, Miller. They work. These programs do work. Uh, we, we do. I travel frequently throughout Latin America. I see the efforts the Chinese have made down there. Chinese, it's not Russia that's our global competitor. It's China. You know, they have basically the same land masses we're basically the same size, but they have five times as many people as we have. We need bodies in the US. We have a million and a half more jobs right now than we have bodies to fill them. So, And we need bodies to do agricultural work. We need people to do service work. We need people that, that graduate from our universities and colleges to have jobs available. All of those are being cut under this administration. So it's making legal immigration so much harder that people are choosing not to come any, here anymore people choose not to come anymore then we have a big problem as a country. China's Especially making as those China investments. Flexes muscles.
0: In, China's making those investments in Africa too. I yep. mean it's a it's a international struggle strategy that we are not competing smartly. About.
2: But again, immigration can be one of those things which helps our economy, helps our society, helps our government. And Blaming Congress—I mean, the president does what he does because he's got a political philosophy. But at the end of the day, Congress has not yet taken control of this.
1: Well, that was going to be my question, uh, Heath. Uh, except that Congress is everybody's divided along partisan lines as the rest of the country is right now. Everybody's playing to their base.
3: All no, right, and, and a lot of people say, "Okay, President Trump did this in order to entice the Mexican government to do something." I think it was—it was. It was maybe threefold one is to entice the mexican government to do more but also to either entice the democratic congress to give him something in this regard or to have them as a you know ruse a, foil. And a foil to post up against and say the mexican government which he has done on the mexican government is doing more than the democrats in the house well
1: right. what, what what's What's Mary Margaret? And we're really running out of time. Um, what's really troubling about all this is that if this is some sort of political game that's going on, um, the people who are suffering are these thousands of children of of uh, pe- families who are you know tr- coming up here in dangerous situations from a, from a Central America, uh, being put into uh, uh, difficult situations. American when they get
0: pe- up. American people. Uh, are worried, I think, honestly, based on American values about children dying in the custody of custom agents. They also are realist, they, they honestly, authentically are mad at all of us in politics. They. I don't believe they are totally in the base. I think there's a lot of middle ground where real people would like to do some productive, rational compromise. I think Mary Margaret's
3: correct, don't yeah. you, Heath? Oh, I do. I think the numbers are clear, right? Yeah. If the bases are 25 percent. There's another 50 percent in the middle, Trump's even on this issue.
0: approval rating is 37 percent maybe today. That leaves a lot of people who care about smart policies and implementation Uh, by honest
1: people. I'm running out of time. One comment from you, and that's going to be Chuck Cook.
0: Well,
2: what we need to do (laughs) at the end of the day is make sure our government is following the law, make sure they're treating everybody with respect, make sure due process is happening. And if people lose their cases, they should be expeditiously removed from the United States. When that message comes back to Central America, hey, the process in the U.S. is working, then they'll they'll, see a reduction in the number of people coming. But It's not working, and it doesn't have any hope of working in the near future. I'm
1: I'm out of time, Mary Margaret. I
2: want to congratulate the
0: Spellers. I think they were (laughs) awesome and wonderful.
1: Mary Margaret, Oliver, Heath Garrett, and Chuck Cook, thank you so much for being on the show today. It was great having you here. A couple quick notes. Monday night, we're going to be up there in Cartersville at the Grand Theater doing our show in front of a live audience. I hope all of you up in northwest Georgia are going to join us. We still have tickets. Just go to... uh, politicalrewind.org and uh, find the link it's a big theater so this is one of those few times when we have plenty of seats um and at two o'clock on monday rather than do a live show we're heading up to cartersville my conversation with new york times columnist david brooks he has a brand new book out Uh, i think you'll enjoy the conversation that's monday at two and then we'll see in cartersville at seven on monday night